flamethrowers. Lindsay Gibbs here. Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you both want and need. Joining me today is Jessica and Shireen, and we're going to talk a little uh, tennis, a lot of NWSL, and then, of course, we've got a burn pile, we've got some torchbearers to lift up, and we'll finish this episode like we always do with some positivity, because this is where you come (laughs) for positivity every week. (laughs) It's what we are best known for. But listen, I mean, speaking of positivity, I just, I can't do anything else until we talk about the US Open for like five minutes. Yes. Let's do it. Yes. Just so everyone knows, we are recording this um, before the women's final. So we have not seen the women's final between Layla Fernandez and Emma Rakondu, but I think we still have enough of good things to talk about that this is going to be fine. Jess, I'm going to go to you first because after Shiringo's, <laughs> we might not have any time left. So Jess, what's been your favorite moment of the U.S. Open so far? It's hard to answer this question because it's been really fun. Um, I know that Shireen will be talking about Layla Fernandez, but the semifinal against Sabalenka was just like phenomenal tennis. But one of my favorite matches that I watched and I actually will admit I turned it on in the middle at the beginning early in the third set but it was the round of 16 on the men's side which here I am talking about men's tennis um it was Francis Tiafo from the U.S. and he played Felix Auger Aliasim they split the first two sets with Tiafo taking the first FAA taking the second and then they played a tight fun and intense third set that went to a tie break and Tiafo had to save three set points even to get there and like it's one thing to watch tennis where they're just not playing well or like one player is dominating, but there is like a whole other thing when both players are just fucking playing out of their minds. And then these two were just playing at the top level of their tennis. It was three, three in the tie break. It was six, six in the tie break. (laughs) And finally Felix at six, five, he rattled off three points in a row. He took the third set. Francis kind of faded in the fourth. And uh, so Felix won it in, in four. And it was just really exciting to watch these two black men, one from Canada, one from the U.S., play on the Arthur Ashe Stadium and play just phenomenal tennis. And I I had just so much fun watching it. There have been just so many good matches. Yes. Shireen, I go. Okay, so I was on TV last night in Toronto and CP24 talking about this. And a lot of really interesting conversations are coming out. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I just love how you, I was on TV. Uh, I was on CP24. <laughs> I think you could have said this without mentioning that, but I'm glad you did. So. I did. <laughs> and one, I think it was the president of Tennis Canada, Eugene something was on as well. And I think what I really want to happen is I'm so happy for Leila Annie Fernandez because she was on a radar. Dr. Courtney Sito had been talking about her for a long time. And she was like, you need to have her on your podcast. And this is one of those times where I was like, Courtney, you were 100% right. And she was saying this to me like three years ago. And I'm like, yes, it's too late we, now. It's too late now. And <laughs> I think that she's on the radar. It wasn't like she was under the radar. But also, she didn't have a seamless thing. She was dropped by t- uh, Quebec Tennis when she was seven from the development program. So now that people are claiming her being like, oh, we always stood behind her. I'm like, no, that's not what happened. But she she absolutely kept this is a story of like also her indomitable spirit and her family. What I'm telling you is that we're an immigrant family and we had nothing. Got in with nothing. So <clears throat> Canada opened up its doors. And if they wouldn't have done what they did, I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I have. And I wouldn't have been able to give that to my daughter. That's it. So it means a lot. You know, as much as I love that in the final, there are two racialized women literally in a sport where it's predominantly white and they're coming in, they're talking about multiple identities because both of them have multiple identities. And Raducanu is of East Asian uh, descent and her father's Romanian. And then on the other side, uh, Fernandez is Ecuadorian and Filipino Canadian. So it's like, it's, I love this. I love that the lines are blurred and I don't love that people are questioning them all the time. I don't love that. I don't like the conversations about the good immigrant that are popping up in Canada. Um, but I do love maple syrup. 
I do love Steve Nash being in her box. Can you explain the maple syrup moment, please? Yeah. So she was. Can I just say that Shireen loves maple syrup so much that when she came to visit me once, she brought a can of it in her luggage. And I remember Aaron's face. Shireen, like, you know, you're just reinforcing Canadian stereotypes, I, I, right? You know, you're just French like, maple yeah. syrup carries it in her luggage. Okay, but it was checked luggage. People. And Jessica, that's the reason why I had to check I'm my bag saying. in. And I remember Aaron's face when I presented it to you about in your kitchen. He's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> It was a, it was a gift. Sorry, can you can you explain why you're talking about it in the tennis context right now? <laughs> so when when God, I'm so sorry. Um, when she's not sorry. When when not sorry at all. After she won the quarterfinals, she was interviewed, and also just to recap, that she beat out three top five players. Fernandez did. So this is like wild. So we're hyper enough as it is. And when she's interviewed on the court. At the U.S. Open, she's asked, what is it about Canadian tennis? Because, you know, Felix was doing amazing stuff, too. Alicim is playing tonight. What is it that they're feeding you up north in Canada that is producing such incredible, inspiring tennis this week? I would say it's the maple syrup. <laughs> and she says it's the maple the syrup maple in Canada. Syrup it's that good. So... I've, I'm not saying that maybe her dad was listening to Burn It All Down and heard me talk about maple syrup this often because I talk about it a lot on the show sometimes. So I'm not saying that that became part of their game plan and strategy. I'm just saying that it's a nice coincidence that Burn It All Down has maple syrup is connected to us and it's also the winning key here. I'm just saying. Yes. Um, we are not just like for all legal reasons, we are not actually taking credit for Layla Fernandez's success. Uh, but I, I just had to say the, to me, I mean, this is, it's all been so much fun to watch, but watching Layla come off court after beating Sabalenka in that really intense semifinal and immediately be greeted by, Billie Jean King and the original and six of the original nine who were about to go on court to be honored in between these two uh, women's semifinal matches. Like I just, I, I actually don't cry that much. And I, I like, I cried, like it was just such a beautiful moment. And she seemed to recognize the gravity of it, even though like all 19 year olds, 18, 19 year olds wouldn't. And you know, she'll at least be winning 1.25 million dollars from this run because that's what the runner-up gets the winner gets over three million dollars and there are these six women who started this women's tour by signing one dollar contracts right because they weren't getting what they were worth so uh I'll, I'll be thinking about that moment for quite some time this week for our main topic I just can't stop thinking about everything that's happening in the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League. And so we're going to do a little roundup of the off-field drama and then have a conversation about how this could be fixed. Like, what is the way forward here, both for the NWSL and kind of what do we want from women's sports owners uh, and the leaders of women's sports in general? So we're going to get a little little existential, a little deep um, here. But I think we just need to start by laying the groundwork, by talking about the drama. So we're going to get us all on the same page here. Um, I'm going to start. <laughs> uh, there's an entire section here devoted just to the Washington spirit and just everything going on there. And uh, actually, The Athletic, um, Meg Linehan and Steph Yang, um, friends of the show, did a great roundup just of everything that's going on with the Washington spirit. I'm going to very briefly summarize this and I'm leaving a lot out because there's just there's just too much uh essentially if we just kind of go back to we're starting like three weeks ago three four weeks ago um August 10th the spirit announced that Richie Burke their head coach was no longer the head coach saying he had been been reassigned to the front office due to his health uh that narrative was quickly blown up when the Washington Post Molly Hensley Clancy detailed the next day Allegations of verbal abuse from Burke, uh, including racially insensitive comments. Kaya McCullough uh, went on the record. She was one of several spirit players who left the team due to Burke's abuse. And I want to shout out that she actually has a podcast episode that came out this week, uh, Unfiltered, in her personal podcast, where she talks in depth about these allegations. It's a must listen. 
so Steve Baldwin, the majority owner, announced that Burke is suspended pending investigation. Less than a week later, the Spirit announced that Intellibridge, which is a uh, defense contractor, essentially, a Homeland Security premier partner, uh, is going to be a front jersey sponsor for the remainder of the 2021 season. Uh, Lindsay Berenz, I think is how you say her name, presidents of business operations, parted ways with the spirit after that. She had apparently been very vocal against the sponsorship and participated in the Richie Burke investigation. Then we had uh, fans raise a sell the team Steve banner at a home game and the spirit made them take it down. Then Washington Post came out with another article about a power struggle between Baldwin and Michelle Kang. They both own 35% of the team. Baldwin apparently had wanted to sell his uh, stakes to King, but has changed his mind. And now he is the one in charge driving this. And it's ridiculous. Uh, September 2nd, they hired uh, former DC United head coach Ben Olson as the president of team operations. Uh, and then two days later, the Washington Spirit versus Portland Thorns game is postponed because of four positive cases of COVID-19. Sources have said there's many as eight unvaccinated players on the Spirit. That's not confirmed. Um, but they did fly these players who were sick to Portland, it seems. So that's not great. That same day, it was reported that Michelle Kang is being investigated by the NWSL under the anti-harassment policy. This was all of Baldwin's people, it seems like, are behind the news of Michelle King being investigated um, and throwing Michelle King under the bus. There's also a racist tweet by this reporter who never reports on women's sports. It was said that King hosted a dumpling party that is believed to have led to the COVID-19 outbreak on the team. I just want to clarify one thing. The dumplings weren't being made together. Each, All the participants were in their own homes. So I'm still very upset about the dumpling thing and about, obviously, the racism that was surrounded by that whole situation. Uh, uh, honestly, we could have a whole episode talking about that. Um, and that's kind of where we are today. We're waiting to see uh, whether they'll even be able to play this week due to COVID. We're waiting to see these investigations take place. And... Um, it is a giant shit show of a power struggle. And that's just one team. Uh, Jess, we've got a lot of other things going on in terms of broadcasting and venue problems. Can you sum up some of these other issues? Yeah. So on the broadcasting front, there is just this big problem of poor production quality of the actual matches themselves. So Ben Strauss wrote about this for the Washington Post in July the NWSL produces their own broadcasts, not the network that airs the game. So you're not getting CBS level productions. Uh, he let off the piece by talking about Marta scoring a beautiful goal and you don't actually see it. The cameras don't capture it. So it's that kind of thing. According to Strauss's reporting, and I'm just going to read straight from it here, quote, the NWSL hires a company called Vista World Link for production services like TV trucks and camera crews. The budgets are small for the digital only telecast around $10,000. For remote production, according to two people with knowledge of them, for the cable and broadcast games, there are more people on site and budgets jump to 50000 and around 100000 respectively in line with the cost to produce mini games on regional and national cable networks. And so especially with these uh, remote productions, you get producers who are off site, you get broadcasters who are off site, and you often have broadcasters with less experience because they can't pay for better broadcasters. There are fewer cameras. There are major sound issues. Apparently sound will just drop out for minutes at a time. There's also the issue of, during the broadcast, the misgendering of Quinn, a trans non-binary player for the OL Reign in an official league segment, as well as by the announcers. There was the misidentification of Jessica McDonald's kid after a Juneteenth segment celebrating the relationship. <laughs> I'm sorry, it, it, it said it was about their relationship. That's what gets me. It was about their relationship. Yes. And then they showed a child that was not her child and said it was her child. Yeah, yeah. She actually tweeted out, she's like, this is not my son. And I was like, they had to apologize. The league had to apologize to her. So yeah, so it's one thing to have distribution, and it's a total other thing to have good production for that distribution. And then there's this the latest problem of this week, the NWSL Championship. It's going to be played on Saturday, November 20th in Portland, Oregon at 9 a.m. local time. Yes, 9 a.m. in the morning. 
Only four teams in the league own and control their own venue. And ultimately Portland was the only one to bid on the game. And so CBS needing to squeeze in this final during the college football season said 12 PM Eastern is the time that they could do it. Players and fans of course are upset, uh, but both the league and CBS are saying like their hands are tied and this is all they've got. It's not even just the spirit. It's not even just the broadcast. There's like more drama. Shereen, how many coaching changes and madness has been going on like elsewhere in the league? So I had to step off a little on the NWSL just between the Olympics and everything that was happening and my own work in the summer. But when I got into this document for prepping and Lindsay had listed all the coaching (laughs) changes, it's ridiculous. It's like there's a revolving door. I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I think there's at least six. And I was like, this is not a huge league. The fact that the turnover is so fast, as Jessica already mentioned, we'll talk about more. The lack of transparency as to why, because although when the anti-bullying and harassment policy came in, we were like, oh, okay, this might be a good thing. However, not detailing why the coaches are dismissed is a huge part of the problem. But isn't, I don't know, transparency an important part of that? And it's just so messy. Um, Freya Kuhn left Gotham FC for Angel City midseason, and Scott Parkinson is a new head coach. Fareed Bensetti resigned as the head coach of the Rain, OL Rain, and Laura Harvey is a new coach. And then Mark Skinner left Orlando Pride. Becky Burley is a new interim coach. And, you know, Mark Parsons left the Portland Thorns, not because of anything to do with harassment or bullying, but to coach the Netherlands. And we knew that that was going to happen. And he's been a stalwart at at the Portland Thorns. Uh, He's been amazing. And we know him and we love him, not just because of his, you know, legendary uh, loyalty to Christine Sinclair. Um, But Christy Holly was fired last month, which we did mention on the episode last week, 217. And Racy Louisville announced that he was gone, but also gave no indication as to why. Twice they said no reason why. So you're trying to connect the dots here. And you know that Winona Ryder Jeff, where she's looking at the math and going, this was me looking in the document at the coaching changes. There's a lot. And Elise LeHue, who was basically ousted, Gotham FC, after the investigation. And again, we don't know the particulars of this. And I will say this, that I have bugged Meg Linehan in chat groups and poked. She's like, it's not public. And she's fair to say that. And it's almost like there's nothing that can be reported because it's not public enough to be reported, even with people that are like the best women soccer journalists in the world asking these questions. So the answers are not out there. We don't know. And, you know, like I will say this, women's soccer, the fans are not, you know, Woso fans are not the most chill on the block. So there's a bit of excitement about that. And there's frenzy and chaos all the time, but not in the good chaos that we want, because I love chaos, but this ain't it. And it's almost like a couple of weeks ago on the show, Lindsay asked, what's your favorite couple? So it's almost like all the joy that I'm getting right now is just looking at Sam Kerr and Christine Mewis. That's it. It has nothing to do with the actual teams and coaches. It's just looking at coupledom. That's what's carrying me through the NWSL season at the moment to balance out all this fuckery. So yeah, like things are a mess. And so I just kind of want to ask, what do you all think? the biggest problem is in the NWSL for me, it just like starts with, there's still no CBA. Like we're in the, we're almost done with the ninth season and there is no collective bargaining agreement. Um, as we talked on the show many a times, the WNBA, you know, got a CBA between their second and third season. Very aware that like, you know, U S soccer's involvement, like there are, you know, extenuating factors here. But players need to have a say, like, at things like 9 a.m. championships and harassment policies, like, you know, player health and safety. Like, these are the things that a CBA can really help players have a voice in. And I know the union's working really hard on it right now. I know the executive committee's working really hard on it right now. But I just think so many of the problems, to me, come back to the fact that this work wasn't done earlier to really give a players a voice in these types of negotiations. Shane? And coming off that, for me, I hate the lack of accountability. I hate the vagueness uh, by which they handle very public problems, be it uh, racism, harassment, abuse, dismissal of GMs and coaches. I feel like there needs to be more conversation. There needs to be more transparency. And I talk about this all the time, but also underlying 
systemic issues within the NWSL, be it racism, be it, you know, misgendering of players, all of those things that are part of these systems of oppression. I feel like they need some hardcore PR help, but not even that. It's not just the PR, it's the internal. And I feel like it's a mess. Yeah, I mean, I think those are obviously like probably the two biggest things going on with the league right now. I also just, whenever I think about women's soccer in the U.S., it's so wild because they still sort of struggle with, I think they're like overshadowed even by the U.S. women's national team and its popularity. And I don't have an answer for that at this point of like how we're constantly saying we want them to figure out how to capitalize on that. But it seems like that's just where all the eyeballs go, that the nationalism really overshadows just the domestic league itself. And I don't know what they can do about it, but it just always feels like a missed opportunity in some way. Absolutely. It's frustrating. A big kind of question, but like in women's sports in general, like what were the things that we actually want and need from the leaders of the sports teams and leagues as a whole? Like what qualities are we looking for from them? Jess, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> well, I want to echo Shireen and just transparency, transparency, transparency. I feel like so many people right now are so frustrated at the NWSL in particular. And it almost comes off to me like a the the vagueness and keeping everything in the shadows is like a weird paternalism. It like is related to the supposed fragility of women's sports. Like if we understood, if if fans and the public understood uh, anything about the league's actual operations, that it would speed up the downfall somehow. <laughs> because of course the picture is not always going to be rosy. So there's like a a weird paternalism to it for me, and I just don't think that helps build loyalty among the fans. Shereen talks about like the, the you know Woso fans are not chill, and this is like putting up a literal curtain. Like it creates distance between the league itself and the fans. Like there's just a curtain there, uh, and that just seems ridiculous. I want transparency, you know. But there's like basic building block stuff, right? I'd love investments in academies or more of an emphasis on homegrown players. It was really exciting earlier this year. The Houston Dash had their first homegrown player, Michaela Abam, and she was spectacular scored a goal. Everyone was thrilled. It was very exciting. I think that helps build a tighter community between the fans and the teams when they see the homegrown players out there and they're they're part of this build with the team. And, you know, I just, we need better refs. <laughs> like we've talked about on the show so many times, which is always better refs, better refing. Oh, yes. Is it hard to want people in charge of women's sports who actually care about women's sports. <laughs> like I was reading through the athletic, just shout out to the athletic and all the work that Steph and Meg and Pablo are doing over there. And they did this Q and a with Ben Olson, the new president of this spirit. And uh, their questions were great, but honestly, some of his answers to me just like bowled me over in frustration. Now I get that. The spirit don't really have maybe their choice of people lining up to take that job right now. Like it's not an ideal situation. And I don't even mean this as badly to Ben as I do just to the spirit leaders, right? For hiring him and for this being okay. So Ben Olson's quotes were just like, he was like, this opportunity came out very recently. This was not something that was months and months in the planning. Uh, I sat down and talked to him and shortly after I was offered the job. And then after I thought about it more over a week or two, the thought of being the president of the spirit was kind of intriguing to me. <laughs> it was like after he's already wow. gotten the job, he like has to wow. commit himself. And Ben Olson is the former head coach of DC United. And he has other quotes where he's like, do I know a lot about women's soccer? No. Do I know a lot about like running the team and business and you, or, you know what I mean? Like, no, but you know, I have a, I have an outsider perspective and a lot of passion for the job or something. And like, I just would like to say that I would like people who are experienced and who really care about women's sports. It doesn't mean you've had to have only worked in women's sports your entire life, right? I think, like, there are a lot of interchangeable, you know, like, skills. But, like, maybe thought about it more than, like, a month ago, right? Like, I would like actual planning to be put. Because what we've seen in so many of these hirings, so Christy Holly, who... Um, was just fired. You know, he left Sky Blue where he was the coach before a few years ago, and he left there under really suspicious circumstances. 
talks of inappropriate relationships with players. I mean, he's engaged to uh, Christine Rapone now, who was a player there. And, you know, that it really was not good for the locker room. And then he was just, you know, hired immediately. Richie Burke. There were so many allegations of him being an abusive person and an abusive coach before the spirit hired him. I'm just kind of sick of like no due diligence. I'm sick of not taking these seriously. And I'm sick of like treating this women's sports jobs as like playgrounds and rehab centers. Do you know what I mean? For like problematic or unimpressive men. Um, Shireen? Yeah, just picking back on that, I recently interviewed Diana Matheson last month, and I asked her about it because she spent a large part of her career in the NWSL at Washington, and she talked about it. You can reference that interview for that. But I mean, I just want to clarify about coaching and not having experience in the women's game before. Like, folks, this isn't a Ted Lasso situation where someone who doesn't know it can come in and win the hearts and minds of everybody in football. It actually isn't like this. And I'll bring to your attention another Premier League coach or rather wanting aspiring coach and my voice is getting louder because even saying this name makes me angry Phil Neville coached the women the women's team in England the national team and when he was hired by his former teammate at Manchester United David Beckham who we actually do love and when I say we I mean me in particular he was hired at Inter Miami he said quote to be in sports my plan was to always just go for the three years and then get into the day-to-day running of a club job which be what I wanted to do end quote. So basically attesting to the fact that he it really was a stepping stone. And this idea of using women's sports that in itself and women's football is a very legitimate, important part of the football world to use that as some type of, you know, platform to reach his ultimate goal because it couldn't possibly be it. This man needs to sit down with Bev Priestman, actually who he's worked with, who for all of you that don't know, Canada won gold at the Olympics because of this woman and her coaching. You know I was going to bring that in there. But the point is, is that this type of thing leaves a poor taste and it's not something that's respected. When you're coaching, you put yourself and invest yourself into what you're doing. You don't debase women's sport and disrespect it in this manner. Also, just as an example, I love Marcus Simeon of the Toronto Blue Jays, and this love is very recent and I'm passionate. Does that mean I should be the GM of the Toronto Blue Jays? No, I don't think so. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So really quickly, like, are there any things that other sports leagues are doing um, that we think the NWSL can learn from or borrow from? You know, one thing I would like all women's sports leagues to kind of borrow from is what we just saw from the NWHL, which is taking the women out of their name and they just... um, rebranded to the premier hockey federation now i don't know that they were doing that as much with like including non-binary athletes and things like that in mind as i would like to because if you read their press release uh it doesn't seem to acknowledge that but i do think that like that's a good step in the right direction of branding yourself as just like elite sports and not just the women's side and just almost like falling back on that uh as a scapegoat a lot jess Yeah, uh, going back to production and distribution, the FA Women's Super League in England has a new three-year domestic broadcast deal where matches are going to be both on Sky Sports and the BBC. And Sky Sports is going to invest $13 million per season. And unlike what I talked about earlier with CBS here in the U.S., it will be handling the production of the matches. So Sky Sports will actually be producing all of it. They'll be spending an additional $7 million on marketing and exposure efforts. The clubs in the league are going to receive a portion of that revenue, and 25% of that portion that they get is actually going to be distributed to the second-tier women's championship. So they're, like, building from the bottom up, right? We'd love to see something like this with the NWSL. I mean, we already talked about all the problems that they've had with production. This would be amazing if they could do something like this with CBS or any other network. Totally amazing. Shereen? There's a couple things like the collective bargaining agreement from the WNBA, which is like, could be used as a blueprint, for example. Also, as well, the NWSL actually has a Black Players Coalition. Yes, that was an initiative started from the players themselves. It's a great thing. I think that anytime you get some type of mobilization from the players, that's very important. And that's something that should be highlighted and say this is a good thing and that it should continue and that there's recognition of that. So that's good. Absolutely. I guess to close it off, I just, (laughs) this is a big question that I wrestle with a lot. This is kind of Brenda's premier question, right? Like, you know, how can teams and leagues in this space stay true to marginalized 
fans and players and respect them and like still engage in capitalism that is necessary to run these teams um, and, you know, still try to attract sponsors and build brands in a world that, you know, it's pretty bigoted still. Are these things incongruous? Yeah, I mean, capitalism's always messy, but my gut tells me that it's a false dichotomy, this idea that like the two that you can't center marginalized people and be successful. I think that's like a line that a bunch of white men have sold us for a long, long time. The idea of that if they're not centered then and catered to that there can't actually be a market. And I think it's hard because so many white men are still in power and make a lot of the decisions like in order for the league to sign with CBS. My guess is that the people that they're dealing with are these exact men, right? Or when they're going to brands and trying to get deals, I'm guessing they're dealing with these exact kind of men. But we also know that the support from fans is there whenever women's sports is given even a fraction of the platform that they deserve and that often those fans are from marginalized groups. And so it just always feels like the potential is so real. And so I don't think it's incongruous, but I do think it's messy. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point, Jess. I always just think like, yes, is there going to be a little bit of like, you know, do I think some fans have a purity test that will never, ever be able to be reached? Do you know what I mean? That's like literally impossible. Yes. Do I also think, though, that there needs to be some sort of like accountability? Like, okay, yeah, maybe you're partnering with like, you know, a Fox Sports and there's some programs on like Fox Sports like you don't like, right? Maybe don't partner with Barstool Sports, whose entire like, uh, you know, ethos is rooted in bullying and harassment and in attacking marginalized groups. Like maybe a, you partner with Coke, which has some problematic deals in its bucket, but maybe you don't actually put a defense sponsorship on the front patch of your Jersey, right? Like we all exist in this world. We all function on a day-to-day basis. Like we know that there has to be some sort of like, you know, engaging in capitalism but like you gotta have some sort of lies and some sort of common sense people you know ultimately i think about what the seattle storm have done i did an interview with jenny gilder one of the co-owners of the seattle storm a few months ago and you know they have this thing that's called the storm way and it's making sure that like community and activism is like a core part of like their business model and they do care about making money and they do want to push things forward But they also don't believe that maybe the way men's sports have grown is the way that all sports have to grow, right? And and they um, are trying to do things a little bit differently. So I think there are people in women's sports trying to do things in a conscious way. Um, Those stories just maybe need to be lifted up a little bit more. Shireen? Yeah, this isn't going to be seamless. Authenticity never is. And it's building. I mean, I think there needs to be a certain amount of patience that we have. But then again, also, as Jessica mentioned, like just pushing back. And I love that the spirit of Dr. Brenda Elsie is pushing through in this segment at the end, talking about anti-capitalism, but also it's possible for us to continue to love and support the players and love and support the idea of this league, especially when models around new teams are good and there's, there's accountability. They're trying with accountability, but there's also ways to call in and be, mindful of what's not working but at the same time love it so as with everything it's complicated we love women's soccer and we'll be here to support it but at the same time there's lines that we just don't want crossed every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts you just need indeed Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
In this week's interview, which will be out on Thursday, I speak with Andre Carlisle and Courtney Stith of the Diaspora United podcast about some on-the-field action in the NWSL and the Black players that are having breakout seasons. So who's having really standout seasons? Um, and we're going to have a whole Sid LaRue section, so we can kind of like... <laughs> you knew where we were going, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends, let's go to the burn pile. I'm going to get things kicked off if you don't mind, or what's the like flicked off? I don't know. Like I'm trying to like light a match. Um, what's, I wish there was a better word than flicked. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good yeah. word. Sparked. 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 Sparked off. I don't know. It's, uh, I can't believe I'm still talking about this, but um, Antonia Brown is still on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It turns out that we are now seven years past um, Ray Rice and nobody has any clue or cares to um, figure out how to talk about uh, allegations of violence against women um, on a national broadcast. So Tampa Bay was playing in the Thursday night football game, which kicked off the NFL season. Um, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth were calling it and they were talking about his magnetic smile and how great he is. And then kind of casually mentioned, Oh yeah. I mean, even despite all, you know, his past issues and stuff, and then just went right on with it. We got to be specific here. Not, not to a graphic extent, but he's been accused of sexually harassing and assaulting women. That's it though. That's the past issues that he's been suspended for this, which means these allegations were found to have merit um, by the league. And I'm just so sick of whether it be with Alex Rev in the U S open, whether it be with Antonio Brown on the football field, I'm just so sick of constantly like we need to call issues what they are. We need to just be, you know, we, we, if it's sexual harassment, if it's sexual assault, if it's domestic violence, call it that. Call it that. So I'd just like to burn the NFL commentary booth once again. Burn. Burn. Uh, Shereen? Yeah, this one actually was brought to our attention by Flamethrower Elga Castro. And um, it's a very complicated and terrible situation as is it usually when there are men in charge of making any decisions this one in particular revolves around the court of san juan and the san juanada's uh women's volleyball team in puerto rico in the league and what had happened was this has gone to a legal court a court of law because the san juanada's team wanted to substitute a player former u.s Olympic and national team player, Destiny Hooker Washington, who is pregnant. So they wanted to substitute her out because she has a high risk pregnancy. And this is for like the league's championships. So the league said no. So tournament director and president of the Puerto Rican Volleyball Federation were all like, no, you can't do that because the rules for substitution only apply if a player is injured. Of course, there's no rules about pregnant players because do you think the men thought about that? Do you think they care about that? So essentially, the team itself withdrew from the tournament and put in an emergency motion forward to have a hearing, which was to have happened yesterday. Now, this is terrible for many reasons. One, it's because the team that loses out, the player feels frustrated. And again, there's no structure around considering because women are very often an afterthought and their needs as mothers and their needs as in any other realm but on the court are never and seldom thought of. So I want to take this because it's incredibly frustrating and it's unfair to the fans and unfair to the player, unfair to the athlete themselves. I want to take all of this and all of these meddling back and forth. The heads of these organizations, as I mentioned, are men. And that's usually the case. Men making decisions about women's and women's bodies and not having policies to support what they actually need. I want to take all of this because it's shitty. I want to take all of it and throw it into the burn pile. Burn. 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 Jess? Living in Texas is hard. 
We've been here for nearly 20 years now, our entire adult lives. I love it here on the day-to-day. I could talk endlessly about the amazing people I know here and the communities that we're a part of, but I could also spend hours explaining how terrible our state government is. I've participated in my fair share of protests and marches and written to my state representatives and senators. We've talked about this on the show, episode 194 in particular. So my burn today is pretty short and concise. In an effort to have quote-unquote small government, and the Texas legislature only meets every two years. But it's common for the governor to call special sessions after the official session has ended. The special sessions are shorter and the governor gets to set that agenda. That's important. Texas is about to have its third special session this year. The last one was when the Republican-controlled state legislature passed a horrific and incredibly restrictive voting rights bill. In this third session, which will begin on Monday, September 20th, Governor Greg Abbott has decided that one of the necessary things to cover is the anti-trans sports bill that targets children in this state. Republicans have tried repeatedly this year to pass this bill and have failed. So he's giving it yet another go, a fourth try here. We have talked repeatedly about the harm these bills do. I wrote about it in a piece earlier this year for Vox. I hate these bills, and I hate our state legislature for continuing to pass bills codifying their hate into law. During the last special session, the goalkeeper for Austin's new MLS team, Brad Stuver, wrote an op-ed for our local paper here in Austin. I'm just going to quote him. I'm heartbroken that the Texas government continues to fight against children, trying to take away their ability to simply play with their friends and have a normal childhood. I stand with transgender youth. Everyone deserves the right to play. Yes, exactly, Brad. Let's burn this shit. Burn. 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 If you want something to do other than yell burn, even though that's great and cathartic, please consider donating to the Transgender Education Network of Texas, TENT, which is dedicated to furthering gender equality in Texas, and they strive to halt discrimination through social, legislative, and corporate education. They're lobbying against this bill. Thanks. All right, let's lift some good up in the world. Our torchbearers of the week, our honorable mentions. Shireen, who are our footy champs of the week? The Jordan Football Association that defeated Tunisia 1-0 to win the third edition of the Arab Women's Cup. Yalla. Woo! All right, our crowd attraction of the week is uh, the Salham Cup. Team Europe defeated Team USA to win the 17th edition of this golf team competition. And the event drew a record crowd of 130,000 fans in Toledo, Ohio, which is just like, that's amazing. I love fans. Like I love, and you know, it's outdoors. (laughs) So, you know, slightly less worried about pandemic stuff. All right. Focusing on good, Jess, (laughs) new hire of the week. (laughs) Morgan Shaw Parker, the former chief marketing officer of the Atlanta Falcons and Atlanta United, is the new president and CEO of the Atlanta Dream. I love that. As Renee Montgomery said, uh, we have great executives now choosing to work in women's sports. Choosing. Awesome. Shereen, who are our equality ambassadors of the week? Um, the Ireland Football Association, which finally announced equal pay for the women's side and unveiled Sky Ireland as the first ever standalone primary partner of the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Congratulations to those athletes, those footballers. They deserve this. It can be done, friends. It can <laughs> be done. All right. As our golden slammer of the week, we have Didi de Groot. Her U.S. Open victory in women's wheelchair singles sealed her golden slam. This year, she won the Australian Open, French Open, Wimbledon, Tokyo Olympics, which happened like a couple of weeks ago, uh, if that, for the Paralympics. Uh, And now the U.S. Open joining Steffi Graf is the only tennis players to win all four majors and a gold medal in the same year. She's only 24 years old, and she won doubles at the U.S. Open, too. Our torchbearers of the week. Can I get a drum roll, please? This is a joint trophy between Layla Fernandez and Emma Raducanu uh, for making it to the U.S. Open final and just absolutely capturing uh, the hearts and enthusiasm around the world this week. Uh, Fernandez is unseated, ranked 73rd in the (laughs) the world. She beat 
Naomi Osaka, Angelique Kerber, Elena Svitolina, and Irina Sabalenka. That is three top five players and two former number ones and multi-time Grand Slam champions on her route. Meanwhile, Radakandu came through qualifying and did not drop a set. Uh, so she had less uh, dominant competition, but uh, dominated them in more astounding fashion. I've honestly never seen, I've watched tennis for a lot of years. I've seen a lot of surprising runs. Never two like this at the same time, making it all the way to the final. Congratulations to both of them. And just like what, what stories, what players, what people. Okay, what is good in uh, your world, Shereen? Well, you know. Or should I say professor? Prof- <laughs> professor. Um, <laughs> I taught my first class in sports journalism this week, and it was wild. It was wonderful. I love my students, and this is going to be fun. Had a couple jokes that didn't land, That's but just assured experience. me normal that experience. that was on brand for instructors. So I'm okay. There's, I'm exploring some new things within the sport world. One is the baseball. Um, because of the Blue Jays that are doing amazing. I mean, they lost last night to the Baltimore Orioles. I can't believe I care, but I do care because they're on an eight-game win streak, beat out the Yankees four games. It was, like, amazing. Just, it was so great. I went to a Blue Jays game a couple of weeks ago. Um, I also want to shout out Virgo season because I've realized like, a lot of my closest friends are Virgos, which is really weird because I'm so chaotic, but it's not really weird. So Courtney Cito had a birthday. My friend Amina Basic had a birthday. Amina Muhammad had a birthday. My best friend Aaron Cervantes uh, had a birthday. Like, there's a lot of people with that energy in my life, which keeps me grounded. So shout out to the people that center me and ground me. I also wanted to say back on the, I got a bit distracted because again, I'm chaotic. Uh, the CFL, I'm really interested in Canadian football and you will be hearing about it more from me on the show because you just will. I love the faces of everybody here. If you could see Tressa and Lindsay's faces of concern, um, we will be hearing more about the Tressa. Tressa has already heard this. So I did make a face. I did make my, a face. Uh, my unfettered <laughs> nationalism. Unfettered mm-hmm. nationalism, which is or two things. I thought it was, um, you know, insufferable, but it was actually unfettered. It can be both. Um, it could be both. Also, tennis. I care about tennis all of a sudden in such an incredible way. And I didn't before. So I thank Lindsay and Jessica for caring about it way, way before me. So I can go back and learn from them. And I realize I have picked up a lot on this show from you both. So thank you for caring about things that I did not pay attention to because things you say stick in my head, which is lovely. So I love you guys. I love that. This has all been worth it. Um <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Sharina has found some use for us after all of these years of podcasting. I love how it just occurred to you now that you've learned something from us. No, I always do. But like, I like tennis, like you talk about Cam Newton, right? And like something happened with him this week. And I was thinking about you. I'm like, oh, Lucy, yeah. Cam, yeah, you know what I mean? Okay. So like there's I, moments. I love it. It has been a joy to see Shireen be the tennis expert. I have, it has just made my life. I've loved it so much. Um, What's good in my life? Um, I've been remembering that like walking, like just basic walking and body movement is a good thing. Um, Like it doesn't have to be very super challenging, but after a summer of it being 95 degrees and me not moving ever, I've just like been like, okay, I'm going to get 10,000 steps in every day. And I have, and you know, that's a three to four mile walk usually every day, unless I'm running like a lot of errands and get in a lot of steps organically. But most days I'm just sitting at my computer. And anyways, I feel great. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> Don't tell me everyone. Don't tell me everyone. <laughs> um, that the dog bar, you know, in Greensburg continues to just be a joy. I walked there and walked back from there last night. So, um, you know, really combining all my interest, just just those things um, outside not being scorching hot is my what's good. Uh, Jess, that is also part of my what's good. It was 65 degrees this morning here, which is this uh, at the end of summer the big moment we all wait for, I've talked about this on the podcast before, is the first night when it gets below 70. Uh, And it's normally not till October, late September. So we feel like it's early. We're supposed to be in the highs and the upper 80s this week, which also feels very cool. Normally we're in triple digits at this time of year. So, you know, we had a massive snowstorm that (laughs) crippled the state earlier this year. But now we have 65 degrees in the morning into the middle of September. So I guess 
that is good. Uh, this is birthday week in this house. My son turns 13 tomorrow, and Aaron's birthday is on Thursday. And they each get the exact same cake from Sugar Mama's Bakery. We've been getting it for like over a decade. Chocolate, peanut butter. So we get two cakes during the week. So that's really what's good for me. Very excited that I get to uh, be around for that. And then I just wanted to mention uh, two TV shows that have made me very happy recently. Never Have I Ever on Netflix, which is adorable and also narrated by John McEnroe. And I... It's easily the most I've liked him ever. Like, there are parts where I like him so much that I almost get mad at how much I like John McEnroe as the narrator of this Indian American high school student's girl's experience in the show, but it's perfect. Uh, And then making it on Hulu, and I assume also on Peacock, because I think it's an NBC show, uh, the Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman the they host and it's about makers that make lots of stuff and they're all super creative and they're all nice to each other and they uh, hug each other a lot and it's just a very sweet show and it makes me want to make lots of things but I don't really know how so last weekend I just baked because that's the closest I could do um I just have one really quick thing to add I went for my first Peloton ride and I know that we had talked about it um that I was gifted a Peloton. Essentially, I won part of this comeback program. Amira had actually nominated me for this comeback. And, you know, there's jokes about Amira wanting to pull people into a Peloton cult, but like, it really was awesome for me. It was 20 minutes. And I cried afterwards, because I think there's parts, well, not just because my ass was hurting, it was literally hurting, but also because it was really nice to be able to put myself in a place where I didn't have to leave home. I'm not comfortable going to gyms yet because of a pandemic. So it was just really cool to be able to be in my own space, be in my home and work out in a way that was really invigorating. And this is a new journey, literally. So we'll see. And hopefully my butt will stop hurting soon. I I was going to say something really sweet. And then I don't know. (laughs) I'm just gonna fin- I'm just gonna end us there. Um, <laughs> that's much more on brand for us. This week we are watching. Look, there's a lot of women's soccer stuff. There's NWSL. There's the uh, women's super league in action. I though have to say my main focus is probably going to be WNBA playoffs will be set by the end of this week. So watch those games. We are jockeying for playoff positions. Then the WNBA playoffs are very close to starting, so that'll be fun. And then I'm sure you got your baseballs. And uh, football, NFL is back. So, you know, there's tons to be doing. That is it for this week's episode of Burn It All Down. This episode was produced by Tressa Versteg. Shelby Weldon is our web and social media guru. Burn It All Down is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can like, subscribe, and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and tune in. For show links and transcripts, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. And we've got a link to our merch at the Bonfire Store. Thank you, thank you, thank you, patrons. Your support makes this possible. If you want to become a donor, monthly donor, keep us in business, visit patreon.com slash burnitalldown. I also want to say uh, Shireen did a phenomenal interview uh, last week with Kelly Lindsay um, about Afghan women's soccer and what, what's been going on there. And I just highly recommend if you haven't had time to listen to it, that you go back and, and take a minute to listen or, you know, 30 minutes to listen to that. Um, it's very, very important. Burn on, but not out.